Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, Salma. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? It's lovely to be here, Tara, and thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. So our paths first crossed when we did a webinar. I think it was like in, in the pandemic. It was with Karen Middleton, who is the CEO of the Charter Society of Physiotherapy. Was she your mentor? How did you two know each other? Yes, she was. And we worked together for about two years, I think. Um, if not longer. She's an incredibly inspiring woman and very insightful and was great because she could challenge me quite a bit as well. So great at holding up the mirror in terms of helping me to see what's, you know, already strong about me, but also challenging me uh, to be braver and bolder. So yeah, that's, that's how I knew Karen. Okay, we'll come back to mentorship. But could you share, what did you want to be when you were little? I absolutely had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'm not sure I still do, but um, on a more serious note, I think my career choice was informed essentially by two key factors that probably shape who I am even today. One is my maternal aunt experiencing a mental health breakdown following the loss of her husband quite suddenly to cancer and being left with young children. But also a father who had, I think, one of the most kindest, general, um, generous spirits I've ever known. He was absolutely driven to support community and did a huge amount and was quite entrepreneurial within that. So I think influenced by both of those aspects, I'm in the, I chose the career of becoming a nurse, um, a mental health nurse. Um, during school years, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know that I wanted to help people and I wanted to make a difference. Um, and again, that was driven by those two very personal experiences um, and people in my life. Yeah. And what do you do today? So my current role is Director of Strategy and Change and more recently stepped up as Deputy Chief Exec at one of the, uh, at South West Yorkshire Partnership and Chess Foundation Trust. Gosh, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I am a proud mental health nurse and that really has been um, a key part of my career right through the last few decades. So going back to mentorship, what did working with Karen really like the things that you remember like what do you what did she say that you kind of still hold on to today that was really helpful gosh so many nuggets I guess I guess what Karen was able to do what any good mentor or coach can do is to create a safe space for you to be able to reflect on your you know I was able to reflect on my personal impact at work and in my leadership role help me to connect 
to things that I was doing really well and to amplify those so that they were visible to me. And also at the same time, when I was getting in my own way to be able to help hold up the mirror so that I could see that and learn from that um, and think differently about how I could influence or navigate change or where where I was getting in my own way really and where I needed to recognize that so I think continuing to help me to be a better version of myself every day rather than some days was probably the thing that I took away the most from Karen but also I think um, really believing in myself and being more courageous and bold in the conversations that I was having and that actually much of what I bought was helpful to the NHS at this time and 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 I guess if I think about the first time we met Tara it was a Sunday afternoon I remember it vividly had a fantastic conversation the three of us about women supporting women and shared our diverse and complementary and very similar views on so many things and you know that that fell out of the conversation we had I had with Karen about you know using the platforms that we have to, I suppose, inspire the next generation and to keep the ladder down for other women and how important that was to all of us in very different ways and how we'd got there in different ways, but that we could learn from that and there was real strength in that. So that was a fantastic conversation, but really, I think, um, helped me to realise that I needed to use my voice and the platform that I had to continue to elevate other women and men, you know, is, is kind of what the conclusion that we got to. Do you see yourself as like a key person of influence in the NHS? Wow, good question. (laughs) Interesting question. I think I would say absolutely in the role that I have, I am influencing the NHS, you know, helping a board of a large um, integrated uh, mental health, learning disabilities, autism and community provider with a huge range of wellbeing services is a, a significant role and, a, and an incredibly responsible role. And shaping what the trust might look like in the future, the role that we play as a board and as an organisation in each of the places that we provide services and in the two integrated systems that we're part of, as well as modernising our services so they truly are responsive to the needs of people that we're in service to, is an incredibly responsible and influential role. And yes, I think the work that we've done as a board has been um, influential. Our previous um, chief executive, Rob Webster, leads one of the the most innovative, forward-looking integrated care systems in the country. And much of the work that we've done as a trust, I think, has played into the thinking around integrated care systems and the current uh, direction of travel. So would I say that I'm personally influential? I would say I've played a part in that, but with a whole set of people that are fantastic. So how does how do you balance the two roles, which are two huge roles? How do you yeah, how do you balance? What does a typical week look like? Just to say that I have a portfolio career. So um, I help the board set the strategy, which is obviously my main role. But that includes on an annual basis working uh, with people right across the organisation to agree what the priorities are. What are the big things that we will focus on this year where we will need collective energy and effort and focus? Um, And we have to make some tough choices about that sometimes. So that's a key part of my role. I'm also um, the board lead for health inequality, which is also an area that I'm incredibly passionate about. And at the heart of the strategy that we lead is addressing health inequalities for people with uh, lived experiences of mental health, 
with disability, with um, comorbidities and for different and diverse communities. So that feels like a, a natural fit with my role. I've also been involved in helping shape the improvement, innovation and change approach in the organisation, which really at the heart of that, again, is about making change and improvement with people, really from the front line um, to board, but also including the diverse voices of the service users, carers and communities that we're in service to. So that's felt like a really important part of my role. And um, I also lead communications uh, and marketing team and the equality and involvement team. So it's a broad portfolio. It touches uh, different aspects of the organisation right across the board. But I guess what's at the core of my role is um, helping us to think about our future in terms of delivering even better care and support with people and to look after our workforce who are part of our communities. It's an incredibly challenging role. A lot of it is about influence rather than direct delivery. And I would say that a typical week is never the same. I don't think, you know, any day is the same, let alone a week. And of course, over time, there are established uh, meetings um, that take place and conversations that need to happen. But really, it is a diverse role, um, which involves working with partners in each of our places, working as part of a unitary board, leading um, individual teams, and working with people right through the organisation to to actually transform and affect change. How much thinking time do you have outside of meetings? Do you have white space in your diary to actually do the work that was generated in the meetings that you were in? So that's a brilliant question. And I would say that's been one of my key learning points over the last few years. Um, And I think actually COVID and the way in which we're now working, which is much more screen time, um, has forced me to think differently about how I create thinking space and time to, I guess, uh, recalibrate to centre, which is incredibly important in these roles because you're in conversations all of the time, you're processing, you're thinking about things. And I think to have downtime is really, really important, especially for somebody like me who who would quite happily spend all the time in conversation. So previously, um, I'd be travelling to meetings back and forth and driving was usually a good time to wind down, to reflect, to think. And having lost that, rather than fill my diary with back-to-back calls, um, I was forced to think about that differently because actually um, I was not being as impactful. So um, I do build in time into my diary now for, um, I, you know, I call it admin time, but it is thinking, some of it's thinking time, some of it's about catching up on things where you need to respond to people or to make calls to have conversations rather than do formal structured meetings. Do you have a do you have an assistant like a PA? Does she or he protect your help protect your diary? Rachel is absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't be without her. She is very good at bringing home to me that I'm overcommitting, um, and uh, that I'm going to be not having a, a lunch break or even a five minute break to get a coffee if I carry on <laughs> filling my diary up. And there are days when she'll say, "I'll I'll, I'll take that off. I'll you know I'll, I'll sort that out." So yeah, I wouldn't be without Rachel. And I think that's incredibly important. So for those people that don't have a like an executive assistant, what does Rachel do for you? So I think, yes, yeah, some people think, oh, that's a luxury, but they may not understand what that executive assistant role is. So can you give an, as an example, obviously diary management must be huge, but how, yeah, how does, does she help you prepare for meetings? How, what does she do for you? 
So I think she would, if I was traveling somewhere and I'd not been there before, she ensure that I had the information, the right information at hand in a bring forward folder. So she organizes that for me. So I know exactly where I need to go. And that saves me time. That saves me searching. And she's incredibly organized. So she helps me become much more organized. She would do things like if I was chairing meetings and or I'm the lead director, for example, for the um, Equality, Equality and Involvement Committee, where, where uh, the, you know, it's part of our board assurance um, process. She, she would do quite a lot of the chasing up the papers and ensuring that things were on track, chasing up actions. So she does a huge amount in helping me to do my job, actually. So it's much more than just diary management. I, I think it's an incredibly important role and incre- incredibly valuable enabling me to do I think all the different things that I do in this role. So you mentioned a lot of your role is about influencing change. How do you hold people accountable for the direction of travel that you and your colleagues have set? So I think that's about good governance. And, um, you know, uh, we often in our board um, talk about our role as leaders within the organisation, setting the tone and creating the right conditions to enable people to do the right thing at every level of the organisation. And the way in which we've set up our governance around change it is, should be and be experienced as enabling rather than one that hinders. So we are really clear that actually everybody and anybody at every level of our organisation should be able to make change and improvements. And leadership happens at every level of the organisation. So that's a key message Um, that we try and hold on to and remind ourselves of so that we're not trying to um, micromanage because you can't, it's absolutely impossible. And uh, what we have done though is wrapped around it a governance framework which keeps people safe, helps them to make the right decisions at the right level and ensure that people have the right resources at the right level. So we've put in some infrastructure to support that and enable that to happen. But the big priorities, the things that have a high level of risk or cost or complexity that need, you know, board level governance or executive level um, involvement and sponsorship, they're agreed annually. And we have got robust processes around that to keep people safe, including things like risk management and, you know, ensuring that people have the right resources to deliver on the big programmes. I understand if you don't want to answer this question, but when it comes to governance and decision making, is there anything that frustrates you within your organisation? Because as you say, it's large, it's complex. You provide service. How many family patients do you as does your services support? Gosh, um, I think we serve about 1.2 million people. We've we've got four and a half thousand staff. It's across four places and feeds into two integrated care systems, so it's complex. Yeah. So we need governance, we need systems and processes, we want people to to, um, feel empowered to change things, but we can't just be changing things like willy-nilly. Is there anything that frustrates you around the speed of change or how things get done? I mean, pace is always a challenge. I think the biggest challenge really is having a shared view of what, you know, three or four things or five things we're really going to focus on as an organisation. I think we've got some, you know, we've got a really good process in place now that enables us to do that with with people right through the organisation. But it's taken a few years to really refine that and get to a place where we've got a shared understanding of that process. So pace is, is challenging. 
Um, but I think actually, you know, COVID has really highlighted that we can respond and be agile and flexible and responsive um, to change if we free people up to do the right thing. So it, it really is about making sure that we're not getting in people's ways, but we've got the right processes that are well understood for people to do the right thing and make the choices and decisions that they want. Cultural change is, you know, everybody's business and that, you know, that takes time and it requires real persistence. And, you know, for example, one of the things that we're working on at the moment is diversifying our workforce. And that's, uh, you know, to ensure that we're employing people with lived experience of mental health issues. We are creating opportunities for people with disabilities. We're creating opportunities for people um, from different and diverse communities and that they're represented at every level of our organisation. That's a real ambition. It's shared by the board. This is something that many people would say they've been working on for the last, you know, certainly I would say three decades of my career. We're not there yet and we've got a long way to go. But we, it, it's that persistence to stay with the tough stuff, I think which really matters, but it is taxing, you know, and I was listening to Dr. Bowler's interview with Yutara, incredibly, incredibly inspiring. And, um, you know, a lot of what she said resonated that much of leadership has to be about looking after yourselves as well, so that you can maintain that persistence and resiliency and keep going after what it is that you believe in that will make a difference. What keeps you doing what you're doing and how do you look after yourself whilst doing that? I think holding on to hope, even at the toughest times, is incredibly important and reminding myself that, you know, of all the positive things that are still happening. And it's really hard to hold on to them when, you know, you're having a really tough day or a tough moment or it's about the 20th time you're having the same conversation. But that is really important because there is great work happening all of the time right across our organization right across our systems with some brilliant people really trying to make a difference and what gets us up on a morning every day is to make a difference that's what energizes us so it's reconnecting to my purpose I think constantly reminding myself to do that but that can only happen if I'm creating the space to be able to do that um, keeping myself in a coaching relationship is incredibly important. And, uh, you know, Karen is, you know, somebody who really supported me, you know, in over the last couple of years. I've now got a different coach for different reasons. Um, and again, incredibly inspired by her and, um, you know, and, and really appreciative of the support that she, and space that she creates to enable me to be able to have the rant, but to put things in perspective, to join the dots to hold on to what's good, to hold on to hope but and optimism, while at the same time holding perspective on the things that get in the way that are tough, uh, that require resiliency. And also, I think, you know, being part of a good team is so important. You know, as, as, as a unitary board, you know, I think we're, we're, we've recently changed. We're evolving as a group of people. I know that the last five years I was part of a fantastic team uh, and, and actually reflecting on the difference that we made was huge. We've got so much more to do and being part of this current leadership team is really important and we've got some great people there that bring some great experience and I think being able to support each other day to day through that work is really important. For on a very practical note so people will be listening to this and I think we, I want it to be inspirational but I also want it to be super super practical so you talk lots of the people that have come onto the podcast have talked about coaching and mentorship you mentioned we don't all have the same coach forever Bola mentioned that in her in her interview there's two questions how do you know when it's time to move on 
And what what were you looking for when you found your new coach? What was the next goal? I think it's a mutual conversation. And okay. I think you get to the point where uh, it's turning into a nice chat. It's comfortable, you know, and yeah. you require something different, you know, whether it's, you know, looking for somebody who's got a different set of skills or has done different things, who might stretch you in a different way. And you kind of come to a mutual decision around that and if I think back to it I've had several different coaches uh, some I've kept for many many years because they've consistently been able to help me in the different contexts and you know Karen is somebody who I would still go back to I would have no hesitation to say I need an hour of your time you know I would recognize when I needed to see Karen because there's something specific she's, she's able to help me, me work through but I do think it's important to really reflect on that regularly. And, and certainly, I, I know with we, Karen, we, we, we did reflect on the coaching relationship, the value it was adding, the difference it was making, whether I was still feeling that it was useful to me right, right the way through. And I think a good coach and a mentor would always do that. So it was a mutual decision that we'd got to the point where actually at that point I needed to have something different. And I was moving on, you know, we'd, we'd achieved quite a lot of the goals that we'd set and worked on. Um, and I think setting goals in a coaching relationship is really important. It's, it stops it just becoming a nice chat and it enables and allows the coach to do their work as well as you to do the work that you need to do. And you need to do a huge amount of work. It's, it shouldn't be too comfortable is what I'd say. So the new coach it was actually she's a black coach and it's the first time I've had a black female coach she was incredibly challenging to me (laughs) and uh you know I I mean Karen had been incredibly challenging when I started with her and and I think that level of challenge was you know I was hooked I was like gosh she's going to be really good for me I guess she's walked the walk talked the talk brings with her bags of experience and insight as a woman of colour incredibly inspiring person and had insights to offer that were quite unique because of her being a woman of colour who's worked internationally I guess as well so yeah I think uh, that being on that programme and having had uh, several conversations with her her reflecting back to me again I think things that I were doing really well that I didn't recognise or where I was getting in my own way was incredibly helpful but she bought a different lens I guess and that's what I was needing at the time. What you've mentioned getting in your own way what kind of and we all have it like repeating patterns what are you often doing where you're like I'm doing it again I'm getting in my own way again is there any like yeah reoccurring patterns that you find yourself in yeah so I think you know we talked about pace of change so caring so deeply about an issue and wanting to make a difference is really important it's an integral part of of making a difference I think you have to care enough to stay with it and um, to stay resilient but actually not allowing not giving yourself a break or not taking time out and not holding perspective are all things that get in the way and um, you know working on a multitude of things working at pace working with complexity constantly um, sometimes you get in your own way because you don't recognize when you need to take that break or when you need to just let go and allow things to emerge Um, getting frustrated so you know I may have been working on something in my head for for weeks months years (laughs) and and then feeling like I'm having the conversation for the first time I can get really frustrated but actually incredibly important at those moments to stay with um, people because actually the transformation is happening at that time 
and people are moving and things are happening. So it's really important. You know, an example of that is, you know, the, the equality work can feel hard. It can feel tough because it feels like it should just be common sense and we should have inclusive societies, inclusive workplaces. You know, we're in, we're, we're in 2022 um, and we're still not there yet. But actually remembering and holding on to the small steps and it's sometimes the smallest things that make the biggest difference isn't always inside at times when you're feeling like we should be doing more. Do you know, I want people to re- like rewind that little segment because I think so many people will be able to relate to it. I think I want people to really think, am I, when, am I getting in my own way? Like, do I need to take a break? Do I need to step back? And I think that lots of people think, do you know what? I do. But you're on your break, you're on leave now. How do you truly take a break and switch off? Because this is like we are talking about work. I've <laughs> ruined your holiday. How do you truly take a step back? I know you don't always have to take a holiday, but what are you doing on holiday to take a step back? To be fair, Tara, um, we had booked you in, hadn't we? Well, when I was not planning to be on leave. Oh, okay. today. So, um, yeah, and normally this is one of the rules I would have. I wouldn't um, do any work conversations. I would even try and not be on Twitter. I've done it today. I've, I've gone on today because I was having a conversation with you anyway. And I thought, actually, I'll use instead of Sunday afternoon catching up, I'll catch up a little bit today and then I can enjoy the weekend completely. But I think it is about putting some boundaries down. And I, I think w- during COVID, I think what's happened is our work life separation has been diluted and that's not a bad thing necessarily because actually within that what we've found is great flexibility and I think there is something positive in that but also at the same time I think so I've done a lot of things with family this week Um, I've got a sister that's uh, visiting us from Dubai with her two teenage boys who are mad about basketball so we've gone to the courts and played basketball several evenings this week and that's been fantastic fun so I think it's doing things that you enjoy doing I think you know whether it's you know going out for, for me personally getting out into nature and going for a hike you know with my husband or my friends or my family is really important to me and I think that's where perhaps I do my greatest bit of thinking reflection and centering faith is incredibly important to me so I think having time and space to read to reflect um, and to center myself and family and friends so I think it's the normal stuff it's the stuff of life that's incredibly important in anchoring us and that also reminds me of why I do what I do which is to be part of and have lived a life where I have made a difference, um, where I have worked alongside people to create a better society, a, gra- a, a better workplace and more equity. You started as a mental health nurse and now you've got your inner chief executive role, you're in a directorship, you sit on boards, you're influencing change across the NHS. Could you share a moment, because I'm sure there's lots of moments, a moment where you thought... I found my career, I love it, and I want to be, you know, like I want to move into an executive role. Wow. So I don't think I ever planned to move into an executive role. I wouldn't say it happened by accident. You know, I was quite intentional about it. And I would say that actually every step of the way, I've had incredible moments doing the job that I'm doing where I've really felt like I'm thriving, I'm making a difference you know, being a mental health nurse was one of the greatest privileges I've ever had in my life, being able um, to be in somebody's home and to be trusted with the things that are at the heart of their distress. There's nothing greater than that in terms of a privilege. 
And, um, you know, I, I felt like I was doing some of my best work at that point. But equally, when I moved and left the comfort of the NHS and moved into the voluntary sector to test out new approaches in, commu in community development and mental health and well-being in BME communities many, many years ago, Again, you know, being invited to a community event or to somebody's home where a group of women were meeting and having conversation, but connecting through that and actually doing brilliant mental health work. Again, you know, a moment where I felt incredibly humbled um, to be doing the work and um, to be part of having set up a charity that, you know, many, many years is still going is, is a real highlight. And I feel really honoured to have been part of that with, with you know, uh, some brilliant people. That's sharing voices in Bradford. Um, having had the opportunity to travel and go and work in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. four, over four years? Yeah, over five years. Yeah, five years. Yeah, over five years. Uh, incredible. I mean, I couldn't have even dreamt of that. And uh, again, it wasn't accidental. It was a choice and a decision. But what enabled me to do that was, you know, having a brilliant director that I was working with. I was a deputy director at South London and Maudsley and Chess Trust in London at the time. And having a brilliant chief executive who also had the conversation with me um, saying, well, why don't you just go and do it for a year? And if it works out, fantastic. If it doesn't, you've got your role and we'll keep it protected for 12 months. Staying in touch with them over the year was brilliant and really helpful because actually, you know, it was huge change going to another country to work in healthcare. And it was quite challenging personally because culturally it was quite different as well. But, you know, phenomenal six years there and felt feel incredibly privileged to have had that opportunity and then coming back and getting back into the NHS in a director role I, so I've been a director in, in in the Middle East in nursing and transformation and then coming back and doing a different role as a director in the NHS was wow you know it was it was brilliant and it, I almost felt like I'd come full circle because it was back in a trust that serves the patch that I'd started as a student nursing many many years ago so huge privilege uh, to be doing that as well so I, I would say that I didn't think about a linear career I kind of followed uh, the opportunities that were there at the, and they were there at the right time I was ready for, you know I was ready for a change I felt like I'd given as much as I could in the role that I was in I wanted to influence in different ways and, and the opportunity kind of just matched where I was at the time. I think the most intentional role was when I came back to the UK from the Middle East. I actually took a break for 11 months and decided that I would think about what I wanted to do next. I think that was probably the, the, the time when I really thought, do I want to go back to the NHS? Do I want to carry on working in health and care? Or do I want to, you know, start my own business and do something different? Um, I'd been playing around with fabric and uh, wall colours and all sorts, doing house up. And I was thinking, oh, I'm really enjoying this. But actually, after about six months, I was incredibly bored and thought, if somebody shows me another piece of fabric, I might just do something unhelpful. So, and I missed being part of a team and an organisation and something much bigger than me. So um, the opportunity of this role um, when I was looking was the perfect fit. It really did, um, I felt when I was looking at the job description and spec and the organisation, I thought, gosh, this will enable me to consolidate all the different and diverse experiences I will bring. And I'll be able to take that into this role. Yet it will be incredibly challenging because uh, I'm not quite sure what it entails. So, I, you know, I uh, applied for the role, got the job and, you know, I'm here, what, nearly five years in. And it's been a fantastic journey. I'm working with some of the most incredible um, people again on some really challenging and complex issues but there are so many people around in the system still that want to make a huge difference 
and uh, work through the challenges to make sure that every person can live a meaningful, connected and healthy life. So, yeah. Do you find yourself asked to speak and asked to contribute a lot because you are a woman of colour in a senior position? And how do you feel about that? That's a good question. So I, I think I have to constantly, and personally, I feel I have to constantly work on saying yes to speaking and taking up space. And I think there are times when I do that really well. And there are times when I have to give myself a nudge because it's easier to think, actually, I can just, I, I can do the job and I can just keep working in the background. But actually, it's incredibly important to be visible, to um, take up that space and to contribute and shape policy, shape practice, to influence change in a very visible way sometimes. And I think it's a great opportunity and a privilege to be able to do that. But I think there is a balance to be struck, isn't there? Because actually part of my role and a key part of my role, being part of a board, is to enable different and diverse voices um, to emerge and to allow those. So yes, there's something about me taking up space and contributing, but it's also about keeping that ladder down and enabling you know, other women and other voices to, to also take up space. So when it comes to influencing in the NHS and making decisions, what is one thing you wish your colleagues knew or could better appreciate? That's a really good question. <laughs> that often the best decisions are made when we've got a couple of things in mind and at the forefront. And one is remembering why, why we're all there. You know, the pace that we're responding to, often it can, those decisions can feel transactional and lose meaning. And I think it's making sure that we're concentrating on and focused on whatever decision we make, often it's going to impact people. It's going to impact how we're using resources, how we're um, affecting change and how it, this contributes to the long-term goals. So one of the things that I would say is incredibly important is we often have to firefight and respond to the here and now, but responding to the here and now, it's keeping one eye on the future and where we want to be and, and, and making the intervention that we need with that in mind. So, you know, if we're making a decision about setting up a new service, then the, the quickest thing to do is to set it up at pace with the clinical voice at the heart of it, because that's, you know, that's the, it's usually driven clinically. But actually making sure that we're using the insight from service users, from carers, from communities that we already know of, identifying where the gaps in the voice might be and drawing that out to help shape us is going to make sure that we get things right for the people that it's going to serve from the outset rather than at the end. You wish your colleagues had, a, I suppose, an appreciation that obviously so much thought goes into these decisions, that whatever the decision, whatever the change, it's going to affect people positively or negatively, depending how you see it. And there is a lot of stakeholder engagement. Now, the same question from a, pay, a service user's point of view. So if I'm a service user, what do you wish more patients and service users understood about how decisions are made in the NHS or is the answer the same? I think it's the same, but what I would say um, to service users and carers is that your voice should be at the heart of everything we do. And actually, we should be creating the right conditions to be able to work in partnership with service users and carers. And we do do this. We do it really well in the NHS, but we could do it even better 
if we absolutely worked in a joined up way to make sure that a person's whole needs were being met and that's the journey that we're on and I think integrated care systems will play a much greater role in helping us um, to deliver and develop much more joined up responses and support for people. I think we've still got work to do on that and that's where our focus will be over the next few years. Thank you so much for joining me today I really appreciate it. Thank you Tara it's been great to be in conversation with you again. so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care on Instagram and on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in in the next episode.